And as I was kind of just praying over, Lord, what would you have us to get into this morning? What, what passage, what scripture, where would you have us to go? Um, this, this kept coming back to my mind. And so uh, we're going to get into Ephesians 1 in just a few minutes. Um, but I want to kind of just open up by saying that as we've been spending some time worshiping the Lord this morning, and I know we did a little extra music than normal, um, but, but I pray that you would understand that we can worship him anywhere we are. But when we come together to worship him, there is something so powerful about gathering as the body of Christ to lift up the name of Christ with God's people. And there should be joy and, and passion and excitement there. It should, you should be okay with sharing joy when you're singing praises to the King of Kings. And I know that some of us aren't really, you know, our personalities or we're not wired. Music really isn't our thing. But I think when we're followers of Christ, that, that doesn't affect that. Um, we can all come together and worship and just lift the name of Christ, whether it's in song, whether it's in the preaching and teaching of his word, or whether it's in prayer or coming together. It's amazing to me. We're not going to go there for time's sake, but as a side point to this, as I was down here and this last song as we were singing, and I'm thinking about all that we've sang this morning, that, that God has, has given new life to dry bones. Uh, that's you and I, by the way, and we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. Um, but also that he desires us to make that known to others that more people can come to know Christ. But then also we know that he's done great things because he's done great things in our lives. He is the great I am. There is none beside him. And as I was thinking through this morning and the music we were singing, uh, Acts chapter 16, and I don't remember the exact verse, but it's somewhere down about 26 or 27, somewhere in there, uh, Paul and Silas have been in prison for preaching Christ. And they are in prison there and they were whipped and beaten and thrown into the inner prison, the Bible says. And that means the deepest, darkest prison they could find, they put them in. And they're there, sores open on their backs, just in a horrible state as far as full of pain and, and all these things they just went through for, for doing something that God called them to do, by the way. And then it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises and the prisoners heard them. I love that verse. They have just been beaten for their faith, tormented. They're sitting in this prison. It's not pleasant. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. And what do they do? How do they respond in that moment when so many of us would say, God, where are you? God, why are you leaving me here? God, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. They decided to, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to say, no, we're going to pray we're going to seek his face and we're going to sing praises because God is a God who does great things. He is the great I am and he has given us new life. And I am moved by that. And I, I, I question sometimes my own life and then the life of, of church in America today. I, I think somewhere we've forgotten that there is power when we praise. There is power. And some of you grew up in churches where you weren't supposed to smile during praise. For being real for a minute. Some of you grew up in churches where if you even cracked a smile during the worship session, the pastor might talk to you for 15 minutes after service for being too charismatic. That just may have happened. Okay? Maybe you had a music leader that led music like this. Oh, victory. You know, just no, no, just sorrowful. Like, is this a funeral or a celebration? I'm really concerned. I don't know what we're doing right now. I want you to know from God's word, yes, there is a time for, for sorrow and lament in God's word, but there is also time of great celebration from God's people. And I want you to know something that, that the Lord's been laying on my heart for a couple years now. We can be excited and not, not as we're going to talk about a little bit here, not overdramatic, not, not, you know, just trying to get attention from other people. It's not about that. It's about just expressing the joy that he's given us. And what does David say in Psalms? Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And there's a joy when we know Christ. 
You see, we, we were created, we were made to worship. It's really the basic idea of this morning. You were made to worship. Now, the truth is you were created to elevate our amazing God in praise and adoration through Christ. You were made for that. In our natural state, apart from Christ, we understand worship as well, do we not? Do, do average people who don't know Christ, do they understand worship? Of course they do. They worship careers. They worship self. They worship relationships. They worship money. They worship whatever, popularity. We understand what it is to give worth and value to something outside of ourselves or something that we think will elevate ourselves. We understand worship. But in Christ, as a follower of Christ, we are able to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God because he alone is worthy of all praise and all adoration. When you read the first few chapters of Revelation and you read even in chapter 4 and 5, what is on display? Are we on display? No. It's the Lamb of God. It is the throne of God. It is the praise of God from God's creation singing out and shouting out, you are worthy. And we were made for that. We were created for a relationship with God to worship him, to elevate him, to just make him known. Now, it amazes me that Paul in prison with Silas, it, now we know they preach the gospel, right? When you read a few verses on, they actually declare to the jailer, this is what you must do. Then we read that people got saved and were baptized. But it isn't it amazing that what drew them to Paul and Silas wasn't a sermon, Right? Did you guys catch that, right? In Acts 16, it wasn't a sermon. It was praying and singing praises. And you know why that caught the prisoners off guard? Because they're sitting there going, oh, I can't believe we're in this state. Oh, man, this is horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. And then they hear someone actually praising God in a cell next to theirs. Like that just struck them. I'm sure they would have been thinking these guys are either nuts or they don't really understand what's going on around them. But it drew them to Paul and Silas. As we begin kind of walking through this journey on worship and this topic of worship, I pray that we will see what worship is and what worship is not. Let's not minimize worship to merely a handful of songs we sing when gathered for service. Let's realize that worship is what happens when we, by his grace and by the Spirit's indwelling, through the revealed truth, that came from the word of God, that we come before him in awe and openness and just lay everything before him. Ephesians chapter one. I went into this morning unsure of how far we would get. So we're just going to go as far as the Lord will allow. And that's okay. I'm, I'm glad I'm good with that. Ephesians chapter one. Look at verse 19. We're going to read 19 through 23. Now there's so much in here. Okay. I'm just... We're just kind of taking a a sample of this amazing chapter, but let's look at verse 19. And what, and, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Again, we're in that verse, right? To usward who believe, but what's the emphasis of that verse? Are we the emphasis? No, it's the power of God on display. Verse 20. Ephesians 1 verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. 
which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I want to unpack that phrase just quickly. The fullness of him that fills all in all. Again, we're kind of setting the stage for the the main part of our talk this morning, but I want to kind of unpack that because that phrase is so powerful. I mean, when you read all that God is doing, that, that the mighty power of God is on display. And again, do we, when we worship, do we actually stop and pause and say, I can only utter these words and they're only received by God because the Holy Spirit of God is in me. And as a child of God, I've been given the right to worship him. And so God, I thank you for that power that you've given to me that I can even say these words and you receive them. But I think when we pause and we realize that we stop just singing some words up on a screen or in a book and it starts meaning more. It starts having substance to it. Listen to what John Gill in his classic commentary says about this simple and yet powerful verse. This idea of filling all in all. I'm going to read quite a bit here, but I want you to listen to what he says. With a limitation to the church. So if if we're putting it just to the church. He says, and people of God, he fills all his churches and ordinances with his gracious presence. He fills all his churches. There are his churches, and then there's churches that are not his. And you might say, what in the world is that about? The churches that are built on the truth of Jesus Christ, that's his church. Peter says that, right? You are the son of the living God. You are the son of God. Yes, that's what the foundation of the church is built upon. The profession of the truth that Jesus is the son of God. Come to save the world from their sins. Any church that is built on any other foundation is not his church. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. He goes to say this. And he fills the various societies of his saints with members and with officers. And these with the gifts and graces of his spirit suitable to their place and station. He fills all and every of the saints, all the vessels of mercy, whether greater or lesser, all sorts of them of larger or meaner capacities. He fills all the powers and faculties of their souls, their hearts with joy, their minds with knowledge, their consciousness with peace, their wills with spiritual desires, submission and resignation and their affections with love to himself and people. In short, he fills them with all grace and goodness and the fruit of righteousness, and so makes them meet for usefulness here and for happiness hereafter. Man, there's so much in there. But I want to read that last little line there. He fills them with all grace and goodness. That's you and I, by the way. He fills us through the working of Christ Through the gospel, he fills them with all grace and goodness and the fruits of righteousness. And so makes them meet for usefulness here. He prepares us to be usable to his glory here in this world and for happiness hereafter. If you don't enjoy worshiping God by singing praises to him, I've said it before, heaven's going to be really rough for you. You're not going to like heaven if you don't like worshiping God. Because I'm telling you, and I know we say that tongue in cheek, but the reality is, man, we are going to be full of joy, shouting praises to him for all eternity. Now, I know we'll serve and we'll have things that we'll do for him and we'll be in use to him. But understand, the foundation of what we're there to do is elevate the name of God. It doesn't stop. When we get to heaven, it's not like, okay, now that I'm here, I don't need to elevate you anymore because I'm here. We're good now. I've done all that for 50, 60 years. So you're all filled up now. No. No, we're just, we're just scratching the surface in this life of what it's going to be like to worship him in eternity. See, here we worship at a distance, right? 
I mean, we know we're in his presence. We know he's here spiritually with us. But we worship at a distance. We don't worship face to face in the sense we will one day. We will be like him before his throne. You see, we have reason to worship. We have reason to worship. If you're taking notes, two simple, simple points I want to give you with the idea of we have reason to worship. Two reasons I just want to give you. Now, again, we could list hundreds, if not hundreds and hundreds of reasons. Uh, And I encourage you, maybe you would stop and say, let me just sit down this week and just start writing out all the ways and all the reasons I can worship God. Like, what are all the reasons I have that I could worship God for this or for that or this or that attribute that he possesses? But two reasons I want to give you quickly this morning that we have to worship. Number one, he gave us life. He gave us life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And then we're going to drop down to verses 5 through 7. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. See that little, if you have a King James translation, that's most likely in a parenthesis. It's almost like Paul saying like, by the way, if you forget how you got quickened, let me just remind you, it's by grace you are saved. And he's going to unpack that even more in just a minute. It goes on to say this, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in us, or I'm sorry, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Do you notice that phrase there in verse six? He's made us to uh, together to sit in heavenly places, present tense, like your residency, your citizenship is not in this world. This is why I'm just going to be real. If you're feeling this weight and burden of what's going on around you, remind yourself, take two seconds and remind yourself, this isn't your home. This isn't our home. You, you should feel some displeasure with the world around you. We weren't created for this world. We were created to be in his presence before him in a relationship with him, intimate. So anything that's not that in fullness feels like in Christ a little less. Man, our desires just aren't fulfilled in this world because they weren't supposed to be. This was just to display our God that we have a relationship with. And so when you understand this, that we were made alive and then now we sit with Christ in the heavenlies. Present tense, we are in his kingdom. Please don't miss what Paul is writing here to the church. He doesn't say you were kind of dead, right? To say, oh yeah, by the way, Ephesians 2.1, you guys were kind of dead. Does he say sort of dead? What does he say? You're dead. You're just dead. There's no adjective. There's nothing before. It's not sort of, kind of, in a way, kind of dead. No, you are dead. And we're dead in our what? In our sins or trespasses. In our sins. Lazarus in the tomb. That's you and I. And we stink. By the way, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, especially in the King James. It's not so much fun in the other translations because in the King James, it says he stinketh. Okay. And the TH on the end really just brings it to life for me. I don't, I don't know why, but he stinketh sounds so much better than just he stinks, but we stink. We're dead in our trespasses. We smell foul. Now you might think you smell fine. You got up, you showered, you put a little perfume on, right? You put a little cologne on, whatever you did your thing. Okay. 
we just moved. We don't have a, we didn't put the mirror up in the bathroom yet. You know, we're still, that, that's today's job because we got the beds together last night. And we were all getting ready to get ready. And I'm like, I went in the bathroom. And I looked at the wall. I was like, hmm, this isn't going to work. So I was like, what do we do? Well, Anthony has a, like one of those long mirrors in his room. So we were like sharing that from room to room. Like, okay, you get a turn now. You can see how you look in the mirror, okay? But when you think about that, that idea that we, we think we're fine. But when he says you smell an idea of sin and dead in sin, it's a spiritual death. It means before God, we can offer nothing, nothing that is pleasing to him. When we had nothing to offer but our sin and shame, Christ came to us and extended to us forgiveness of sins. When we had nothing to offer but sin and shame, Christ came to us and extended to us the forgiveness of sins. Yes, God loves us and we are valuable as his creation. We are image bearers of God. We've been studying this on Sunday nights, the one race, one blood study, that all humanity bears the image of God. That there is really only one race, the human race. And we're all one. We don't need all this division in our societies and in our world today. We can come together as one. We are all image bearers of God. Therefore, we all are equally able to have intrinsic value and worth and respect one another. And while that's true, spiritually speaking, I want us to understand, and I love what David Platt wrote here when he said this. You and I have nothing in us to draw Jesus to us, to give us this invitation. You and I have nothing in us to draw Jesus to us, to give us this invitation. We are sinners, rebels to the core, running from God. And to be, and um, the beautiful, gracious, glorious reality of the gospel is that Jesus comes running to us. We're running away in rebellion and Jesus is pursuing us. He's coming after us. The apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter three, verse 10, as it is written, there is None righteous, no, not one. You see, we have reason to worship because we have been given life through Christ. You didn't give yourself life. He gave you life. He didn't give you a better life. He gave you life when you received him as your savior. You were dead, trespasses and sins. He quickened you. The word means made alive. And I'm telling you, if you want to know, man, how, what is the reason I could worship God today? It's Tuesday, you're tired, you don't want to go to work, you're not looking forward to whatever's going on in that meeting, you just don't want to deal with the kids. I know that's not for you, it's for me, it's very personal, I'm sure. All of you love your children, you want to be around them 24-7, you just love the way they cry and fight and scream and you just enjoy it, okay? It's you. I'm just different, okay? Sometimes I get a little like, can you go somewhere else for a little while, okay? Just, just saying. Apparently none of the parents in here can relate, that's cool. You guys are saints, I'm a horrible sinner, pray for me, okay? When you think about this, though, we had nothing to offer him. Like, what could we give God to amend our sin? Nothing. But yet Jesus Christ chose of his own accord because, by the way, he first loved us. Oh, well, but I love God. Yeah, that's great. You love God only, only because he first loved you. You didn't start this relationship. He started this. You just responded in faith to what he was already doing. When we understand that and you're going, man, I don't really know if I have a reason to worship this week. Things are going really bad or this happened or that happened. I understand trials come into all of our lives. But if you need a reason to worship, pause two seconds and say, no, you've given me life in Christ. I need nothing else. I have all that I need in Christ and I will worship you because of that. So he gives us life. Another reason we can worship is he gives us purpose. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you think Paul's trying to drive a point home here? It doesn't just, he doesn't just say, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. Not of yourselves would be sufficient, would it not? If, if it's not of myself, can works save me? No, because that would be of myself. But Paul goes a step farther by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, listen, not just is it not of yourselves. Let me just remind you again, not of works. It's not of works. And why is that? So that no one can boast. I cannot boast in my ability to get to heaven. I can't get to heaven. And me and Aaron are standing next to each other. And I'm like, I got in way ahead of this guy. Like this guy just, man, he scraped in. I'm like coming in with crowns. No, you know what what we're going to be doing? The same thing we'll all be doing in Christ. We'll be falling on our face and going, God, you're so gracious and so loving to save a sinner like me. And any rewards we receive, we're just going to cast back at his feet because it's really all about him. We cannot boast. By the way, I'm sure Aaron's way ahead of me. I'm just using it as an illustration, okay? But when you think about that, verse 10, how's he finished this idea of it's by grace that you saved. It's not of yourself. So apparently I can't get to heaven by works. So what part does works have in this relationship? Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, works have a place out of our salvation, not to gain our salvation. We talked about this before which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I love that phrase, walk in them. You know what that means? God has a purpose for your life. And in Christ, he has given you all that you need to do the works he's called you to. That word workmanship, if I remember right, that's the word for poem, a piece of art. We're displaying, and by the way, what are we displaying when we're doing his work? Well, that's great you asked. Great question. Go back up to verse 7. That in the ages to come, we might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. As we are on display, our works, we're walking in them. It's not like I got to go look for them. Oh, I got to do another thing for Jesus today. It's as I'm living my life, I'm just living it in a way that would honor him. I'm looking for opportunities to what? Display the riches of his grace. So when people have a conversation with me, they're going through a hard time or things are kind of crazy. We could say, yeah, I know I'm really stressed with that too at times, but I'm so thankful that God is with me no matter what. I'm so thankful that God has saved me and given me life. See, God doesn't just give us life. He gives us purpose. Your life has meaning and purpose, not just in this life, but in the life to come. The things we do now bring glory to God and his astounding grace, as well as lay up treasures in heaven for his glory and praise. All those treasures we're laying up, by the way, I've said it already, but we're going to just cast those at his feet. God, this is just all because of you. As John Gill said, as I referenced in that quote from his commentary, we have been filled with everything we will ever need. Our deepest and truest desires have been met and exceeded by the Savior. I don't know if you need to, but maybe somebody needs to write that down. Maybe somebody needs to stop and go, man, God, I need to know that for myself because I've been looking for something else to fulfill my desires. And I need to remind myself that my deepest, truest, real needs not only have been met by my Savior, they've actually been exceeded by my Savior. He's gone above and beyond anything I could ever imagine because he is that good and gracious and loving. And by the way, Ephesians 1, he has filled me with all that I could ever need. We have reason to worship because he has given us life and purpose. So the question comes, how do we worship? How do we worship? I'm going to give you two quick truths. Go over to John chapter 4. Familiar passage for some. 
John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 23. Again, thank you so much for having your Bible with you. Um, whether it's on a device, whether you have the paper copy, uh, God's word is so vital to our growth and understanding as followers of Christ, what God is calling us to. And so, again, whether it's on a device or in print form, thank you so much for getting into God's word with us this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. You can get one by downloading our app on the app. You can access the Bible there, or you can get one at the Welcome Center. And so I just really want to make sure we, we draw from God's word what, God words, what God's words has for us. So John chapter 4, look at verse 23. Again, amazing interaction. If you really want to know Jesus, read about the interactions he had with people. Um, I love reading about the interactions he had with people, how he treated them, how he talked to them, how he interacted with them. I know I can learn a lot from this. I know I'm not there yet. I know I struggle in this area sometimes, but I love that he had, and some, well, he's just God. I know that, but I love that he approached people right where they were. Like, like he didn't ask people to get to a certain level and then he would interact with them. He just approached them right where they were. Look at John chapter four, verse 23. So in this dialogue back and forth between John or between Jesus and a woman at the well, uh, a Samaritan woman, I should say, verse 23. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is, this is such a simple passage, and it's a part of a much bigger dialogue, as I said. But, but you want to really go back and study that out because she actually, she believes he's a prophet. He could be a prophet very much, very likely. Uh, she asks a religious question about where do we worship? She basically says, hey, you Jews, you stay down in Jerusalem. That's, I'm paraphrasing, that's where you're supposed to worship. We believe this mountain is where we're supposed to worship. So, so you're a prophet, you're of God, so where am I supposed to worship? Now, some people have critiqued the woman at the well and said she was just trying to get off track. She was trying to distract from the point of the conversation. I don't see that at all. I see a woman who had a desire to worship God and saw someone who revealed to her things about herself that she never told him and said, man, I, I want to know, am I doing the right thing or do I need to change something here? But I love that Jesus doesn't make worship about a place. He makes it about the heart. Did you guys catch that? Jesus doesn't make worship about a place. He makes it about the heart. This means you can worship God with the right elements, whether in your living room, on the lawnmower, which praise God soon, I pray very soon, we'll be mowing lawns again, and I just can't wait for that day, okay? Or when we gather as the body of Christ. Now, this is what some will do. Just being real with you, if I can just... If I can be a little real with you this morning, I'm just going to share this. Some people, especially believers who have been in church a long time, will use verses like this and go, well, see, I don't have to go to church. And the Bible says it's not about a place. It's about my heart. And my heart is good, so I don't have to go to church. I would just encourage you, if you've ever had that thought, if you've wrestled with that, as I know we all have at times, if you've ever had to talk to somebody like that, I would just encourage you to ask, how, can, how is our heart really where it's supposed to be if we're not before God's word with God's people, serving God's people in his church? Is our heart really where it needs to be? And are we really where we need to be in that connection with Jesus if we're disconnecting ourselves from the body of Christ, which he makes vital throughout the whole New Testament? Like, you, you can't show me a thriving, believing individual without a connection to the body of Christ. We see it all through Scripture. So, yes, it's not about a place, right? We can worship God outside of this building. Praise God, you don't have to travel here or have a pilgrimage here and offer something up, and now I'm good for six days. 
But man, there's something so wonderful about coming together as the body of Christ and choosing to worship him in this place. And so what is Jesus' emphasis here in these verses? What are the elements of worship according to the Lord? And again, this gets unpacked later in scripture in much more detail in different ways. But I believe we see the heart of it here in verse 23. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So how do we worship? Well, we worship in spirit and in truth. Two simple points. But wait a minute, preacher. What about music style? What about expressions of worship? What about traditional and contemporary and high church? And, and what, what, what do we do? What kind of music's okay? Is it okay to have this on the stage? We're not talking about that because that's all preferential. That's all cultural. And it doesn't have any bearing on what Jesus said. You can worship Jesus, worship the Lord with no instrumentation or tons of instrumentation, and it be acceptable if it's in spirit and in truth. So he goes on to say, what does it mean to be uh, somebody who worships the Lord in spirit? In spirit here means through or by the Holy Spirit. Basically, those who have the spirit of God through salvation are able to worship him. Pretty straightforward. This is not referring to the need of charismatic worship or spiritual gifts. This is not saying that your worship has to look a certain way in what we've called Holy Spirit worship or what churches have called that. It's meaning I have the spirit of God through Christ, therefore I'm able to worship. Romans chapter 8. If you have the spirit of God, you are his. If you don't have the spirit of God, you're not his. So we have his spirit when we have him. It's not about a place or geographical location as we said in our 21st century temple series back in January. Through Christ, we can enter his presence at all times. Like, however, again, there is something moving and powerful when we come together as the church and worship. Our time together is an overflow of the ongoing relationship we have with Christ individually. This is a time for the overflow of just coming together and just praising him for what he's already been doing in our lives. We must let the spirit lead us when we worship. This doesn't mean we act foolish in the name of worship. Barking like dogs, holy laughter, and other things, flopping on the floor, for example, that are not scriptural. doesn't mean we have to go to that extreme. What it means is we let the Spirit lead us and open our hearts and minds to the truth of our many reasons to worship. This is where we stop worrying about so much what it looks like and start focusing on, am I worshiping in a way that the Spirit is giving me the ability to worship? That am I worshiping free and open? And am I not quenching the Spirit in my worship? Am I not telling the Spirit of God, okay, it's 10.30, we worship to 12, and then we're good till 6. And then, by the way, you can come back at 6.45 on Wednesday. I'll give you another hour and 15 minutes, and then it's my time again. And if that's how you go into worship, and I, I think I've maybe told this before, we had somebody come to me and say, years ago, and I've been known to preach a little long. Some have said. This person came up to me and said, now mind you, this person had all kinds of other issues that they were battling with as far as with things in the church and stuff. And this was just like the icing on a very bad tasting cake, okay? You guys can use that if you want anytime. It's free. I'll just give it to you. Um, she came up to me. She said, you know, she said, it was just, we had this Sunday morning. And Did you ever notice after a spiritual high, your flesh or the enemy wants to try to knock you down a few pegs? We had this Sunday morning, man, God was moving the altar. People were coming to the altar and praying and seeking God. And, and it was really cool. Like somebody would get up and go back and then somebody else would come forward. And then somebody would get up and go back and somebody else would come forward. And it was just like going, like, not like a normal invitation, if you want to say it that way. And, and I was, you know, we were on the, you know, you give like the, the song and then we're done. You know, it's okay. We got to finish invitation. 
And I remember I was standing down front. I remember thinking, God, I don't want to go up there. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to stop what you're doing. And so there was a point where I did come up and, and the music kept playing. And I remember we were just kind of, I was just waiting. And I, I mean, my thing was I was sitting down front. I said, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to say anything until this altar is, is clear. I'm not going to interrupt what God is doing. And the, the next week, this person came up to me and said, I just want you to know, I found it really rude that you kept us at church so long on Sunday. And I remember I was kind of thinking, it's only like 12.05. Like, where have you been the last, like, couple years? Like, that's nothing. That's early. Um, and they said, no, no, you know, I just, I found it really rude that you don't respect our time enough to let us go when it's time to go. And I said, well, I don't know if you noticed, but people were engaging with God in the invitation, and I just really didn't want to disrupt that. They literally said to me, if they want to pray and spend time with God, that's fine. They can do that after we dismiss, but we've got things to do. Now, I know when you hear that, you go, I can't believe a a follower of Christ who'd been saved for uh, 30-something years, maybe, uh, almost 40, would ever say something like that. If we're being really honest, though, this person just verbalized what we've thought at times in our own Christian lives. If we're being real, we've all been tempted to or have thought things like that. Man, is this going to finish up soon? Maybe you were at a service or a time where the person preaching wasn't the style preacher you liked or the service wasn't going the way you liked or the music wasn't going the way you liked. And you're like, can we just be done now? Let me ask you, is that in spirit and in truth? Is that really Holy Spirit driven? I'm telling you guys, I'm not saying we just go crazy and there's no time constraints. I don't think that's biblical either. We can have time constraints and be okay. I'm just saying it's a heart issue. And I'm always amazed by that because I've been in services where I've thought the same thing that woman said to me, but I never would have verbalized it. And in fact, if anything, she just showed me that I was being more hypocritical than she was. At least she said it. At least she said what she was thinking. Some of us think it and we don't even say it. And then we, oh, no, that was wonderful preaching. Mm, That was beautiful. Okay. We don't really mean it, though. That's the point. We have to get beyond this surface stuff. I'll be real honest with you, man. Some of the labels we put on things in church drive me crazy. Let's just worship in spirit. Let's just let God lead. And let's just be excited that he's the one who's given us new life and purpose. So not only in spirit, as we open our minds and hearts to the truth of many reasons to worship. And I know some of you are like, great. He just said that it's almost 12. Are we going to go? No, I'm just kidding. You didn't. I'm just teasing. Last part, last part. I just want to make this point because I think it's in spirit and Jesus says in truth. In truth here means to obey the revelation given through Christ. To obey the revelation given through Christ. What is the revelation given through Christ? We must receive and obey the truth of Christ, worshiping him according to his revealed word. What does that mean? That I know Christ is my savior because he told me he was the savior. I believe him at his word. I receive him as my savior. Now that truth has now allowed me to enter into his courts with praise. I worship in accordance with him being my savior. It's truth. And therefore I worship that way, but it overflows not just from salvation, but also the studying of God's word. Studying God's word is not separate from worship. In fact, it is Worship. The more I know of him and his truth, the more I can worship him in his many attributes. This is why I love in the Old Testament, you read where God would move and they would name that place. 
or they would name that spot, or they would name God, God the provider, because he provided this way. And they would make these different points of reference to God. And I love that because it was showing them, listen, when God did something new in my life, it wasn't new. God was always the provider. But to that individual, they would go, man, I'm going to recognize this as unique because now I'm worshiping God, not just as God creator, but also as God provider. I've experienced that. So the word of God gives us that influence. Now I don't need to experience all these many things. I can go to God's word and go, no, I read that God is provider. I read that God has done great things and God will do great things. And so I worship him in that way. See, studying God's word actually broadens our scope of worship. Bible study is not for advanced Christianity only. It's not Christianity 201 or 301 and you're down here at 101 and that's not for me yet. I got to be saved a little longer. Bible study is for all Believers, all who claim to be followers of Christ can be in God's word and should be in God's word to grow in Christ. John 15, 7, abide in me and my words abide in you. Abide in Christ and his words abide in you. When we abide in and with Christ, his words abide in us. And we are his disciples for the glory or the worship of the Lord. A key I want to close with from John chapter 4. As we talk about this idea that how do we worship? In what ways do we worship? Well, it can take many different forms, but the key we have to come back to is in spirit and in truth. It's by and through the Holy Spirit. His indwelling presence in our lives allows us to have that ability to worship, and it's through the revealed truth of Jesus Christ that he is the Savior, and then we grow in that knowledge. What does Peter say? Grow in grace, right? We grow in this understanding of the knowledge of the very grace of God, and we worship him fuller because we understand more of who he is by his grace. But a key I want to close with this morning that I pray God affirms in all of our hearts and our minds. True worshipers, Jesus said, who worship the Father, not because it is what we want or what makes us happy, but because it is what he seeks. He desires us to worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 23, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. Why? For the father seeks such to worship him. It is his desire that we worship in that regard. And so when we come before him and we worship in spirit and in truth, it's actually acknowledging his authority over us. God, this is what you ask of me. This is what I'm giving to you. I'm not worshiping in this way because it makes me happy or feel good or because I think it's good or because I like this song or because I like this or that preaching style or because I, no, no, no. We do this because he asks us to. And now, what happens when we worship in spirit and in truth? I believe we're blessed, we're filled, we do take joy in it, we are blessed by it, we do enjoy it. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but we got to be careful we put his desire before our wants and feelings. Out of the desire being fulfilled for his glory, we're fulfilled. But if we put it the other way around and we go, I will worship God when the music is like what I like, when the preacher preaches like I like, when the church does what I want, then I will worship that way. We've completely reversed it and we've made us the catalyst. We've made us the focal point and we've missed the whole point of worship. While worship involves us responding to God's truth in the spirit, the object of our worship is the Lord, not self. Too many Christians, myself included, have been tempted to make worship about what we get out of it instead of realizing that when we pour all of ourselves out as a drink offering to the Lord, that we can be filled and anew with his presence. See, it's when we come and we just empty ourselves before him 
And let me just tell you, I'm guilty of this just as much as the next person. There's many times in church where I don't do this. It's, I, I, I don't say it's about me, but I treat it like it's about me. And rather the times that I've come and I've just poured myself out before him. And I've said, Lord, I'm just, I just want to be filled with you. Ephesians 5, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not getting more of the Spirit. It's really giving us uh, more of us to the Spirit. I'm filled with you, Lord. Fill me anew with your presence. That's what worship really is. Pouring out our lives before him and he fills us with his presence so we can go out and make him known. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. We're going to have a time of invitation and response as the band comes to lead us in a song of invitation. I just want to ask you right there where you are with your heads bowed. I do I do greatly appreciate your attentiveness and your faithfulness this morning. I thank you for giving of your time. Uh, your time is valuable. And I know we joke about some things, but I do pray that, that you would know that we do understand your time is valuable. And so this morning, as you bow right there where you are, I pray that you would respond to whatever God is doing. Maybe you would come this morning and bend a knee and say, God, I just thank you for the life you've given me. God, thank you for giving me life. When I had nothing to offer you, you came to me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me purpose and direction in this life that I can now be used for your glory to make you known, whether it's in small ways or big ways. Thank you, Lord, for filling me with all that I need that you could be glorified through me. Maybe you would come this morning and say, Lord, help me when I worship you, whether here at church or whether individually in my own prayer closet that I would realize it's about worshiping in spirit and in truth and help me to respond in a way that would be pleasing to you. Thank you for allowing us to worship you. It's amazing, Lord, that you seek our worship. You desire for us to worship you, that we would sing praises and, 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 and praise you and pray and lift you up, Lord. Thank you for offering that to us. And Father, ultimately, if there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ, I pray they would come to know you, to know your salvation, to know life, before it's everlasting too late. Father, may you again be glorified in all of this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And whatever God is doing, would you respond to what he's doing? Would you just call out to him? Maybe you want to be thankful. God, thank you for new life. Thank you for life and purpose. Maybe you'd come and pray. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we sing?